So Chris is back again. He may be back for a little while. Amy, just she's taking care of a few things. It's all good. So Chris may be filling in for a little bit. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. How have you been? I've been well, thank you. Okay. Anything you want to talk about? No. I need to clean up my desk a little bit. <laughs> okay. That's on my mind. Okay. I didn't know we were going to talk about general chores. I have dishes to do. We'll see. <laughs> you asked. I the, that's what's on my mind. The dogs are under the table, so you may be hearing them the entire podcast. Um, so, yeah, I thought we could start a little bit. Well, first, there's a story I wanted to tell you, and I didn't tell you earlier because I thought it was really cute. When I was at Starbucks the other day, I, I go there sometimes to work on stuff for the podcast. You guys should understand because I think all of the Starbucks are pretty much laid out the same. They have that large table there. So I was sitting at the large table, um, like facing the counter. So I was facing that way. I'm doing my work and, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I can see people coming in and going out and whatnot. But I'm not really paying too much attention. At one point, I saw this mom and her two kids, boy and a girl. The boy was older, but, you know, he might have been like nine-ish, ten-ish, and maybe the girl was like seven. Somewhere in that range. All right. Okay. So I don't pay any attention to it. So they go on and do their thing. All of a sudden, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I'm typing away. I'm doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I see out of the corner of my eye the little girl. And she's reaching across the table. And she puts two pennies, like, in front of my notepad. And I look at her. I go, two pennies. Thank you so much. And um, so she goes back to her mom. And the, the mom goes, you know, she found those on a table. And she just wanted to give those to you. She thought maybe you could buy something with it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so sweet. Thank you so much. That is just so sweet. I kept the two pennies. I put them in my computer bag because it's just a reminder of a giving heart. Mm. And just how, especially for children, there's that innocence. Yeah. And that giving heart that I think sometimes becomes hardened as we become adults. Oh, yes. So it was just, it was a really sweet moment. I don't know. It just really, it stuck with me. That is a nice moment. Now, I thought we could also start with something a little different. Because you and Amy bring different dynamics to the podcast, I want to, I want to um, include you more. But I thought, you know what? Let's, let's throw out a question or two. And I gave this to you yesterday and discuss you know, that way you could become a little bit more involved in the conversation. Okay. And it would be fun to hear from from you, I thought. So the first question was, what prayer have you been praying the longest? I understand it to be the name of the prayer. I don't know if it's an overgeneralization, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you've been praying for the longest? Do you know what I mean? Like, the, what you said is absolutely correct. That's great. Okay. But have you been, is there anything that you've been praying for the longest? And it's okay if there isn't. It's private, but it's uh, I, I, it's two prayers. There's the Lord's Prayer, and then I also have the prayer that, you know, my family's safe and healthy, taken care of, mm-hmm. and uh, to be content and uh, happy with what we have. Generally, I have a, a prayer that I say, yes. Okay. Great. Yes. Okay. And then the second part of the question was, what prayer has been answered for you recently? What prayer has been answered for me recently? Uh, there's been a couple. The, the one that was uh, when I was having the, the, that heart issue, uh, 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was really afraid of that. I did pray about that quite a bit and uh, changed uh, some bad habits. You know, uh, too much uh, stimulant, mm -hmm. too much coffee, nicotine pouches, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I was stopping chewing tobacco and uh, medication I was taking and all was just too much. And that's what they hypothesized at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I cut it all out and haven't had a recurrence or any issues. Oh, yeah, that's great. Whereas they told me some of the stuff that it may be or could be, and I was very not pleased by that. No, that is scary if they can't pinpoint it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if that's uh, the answer or an answer. Yeah, that's absolutely That's a great answer. How about yourself? It's a little choppy because... Years ago, I used to just pray for happiness. I just thought, well, that's it. That's the answer to everything, just ha happiness. But as I matured and then also became a little bit more knowledgeable of the Bible and, and whatnot, it just became a prayer for, for God to be alongside us every step of the way, just for him to wrap us in his, in his arms, you know, and love us and, and, and just give us strength when we need it and stuff like that because you know before i just thought well happiness that's going to cover it all but that's not life like that's that's just not reasonable mm. because you are going to go through stuff like it's just inevitable it's going to happen you're going to go sure. through stuff so i think the the thought process changes a little bit to where it's like okay stuff's going to happen that's okay and it changes your mindset knowing that god's going to be there with you so you so that's kind of been the evolution really of the things I've been praying for the longest. What prayer has been answered recently, probably regarding um your accident because you were in a lot of pain. Mm. You know, there's always that fear, you know, is there going to be something really messed up with your back or with your shoulder or neck? I mean, there's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah. And I know you're still having some issues like with your fingers and stuff, but I mean, for the most part, yeah. you're doing okay. Yeah. So that was an answered prayer. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I thought we could just kind of start with questions like that. All right. And get you involved a little bit more. You know what? We need to start in prayer. Lord, thank you for everything that you've given us. Please be with all those who are hurting or are going through a tough time. Please just wrap them in your love and your comfort. Please... Speak through us as we go through this Bible study. Make us more like you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start with a recap of Isaiah 1 through 5 and 13 through 16, which we covered last time. Also, we have the fan on high, and I'm really hope I don't think it's going to affect the audio much, if at all, but it's 110 today, and we have the air on, but it's still hot, so it's got to be. Uh, okay, so Assyria invaded Israel for the third and final time. The Israelites were exiled to Assyria, and God allowed this to happen because they worshipped other gods. The tribe of Judah still remained, but they were disobeying the Lord as well. And the prophet Isaiah spoke to both Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern. And there was a paragraph, so that's what we covered before. Moving on to what we're going to cover today, which is Second Chronicles 29-31, through 31. In Proverbs 25 through 31, there was a paragraph before Scripture. And would you like to read that? Hezekiah saw the northern kingdom of Israel destroyed by the Assyrians. 
but he understood that it was God's judgment that sent his neighbors into exile. He recognized some of the same sins in his own nation, so when he took the throne, he immediately began to call the people to repentance. He reopened the temple, orchestrated a national celebration of Passover, and reformed the nation's religious practices by ordering their idols to be destroyed. This was one of the greatest revivals in history. Thank you. And Hezekiah was the 13th king of Judah, so he was in the southern kingdom. Okay, moving on to 2 Chronicles 29, verses 3 through 17. And this was titled, Hezekiah Reopens the Temple. And if you could read just verse 3, please. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Thank you. Hezekiah called upon the priests and the Levites to purify themselves and the temple and remove all of the defiled items from the sanctuary. In the note, it said the Levites chosen by God to serve in the temple had been kept from their duties by Ahaz's wickedness. But Hezekiah called them back into service, reminding them that the Lord had chosen them to minister. Anything from that section? No. No. Okay. Okay. And then I'm going to include, I'll take a picture of it and put it on the Facebook page. There is a chart in our Bible titled, Great Revivals in the Bible. And uh, so, yeah, look for that on the Facebook page. That it, There's a lot of good information on there. So moving on to Second Chronicles 29, verses 18 through 36, the temple rededication. The temple was cleansed and animals were brought in for burnt and sin offerings. And in the notes it said, throughout the Old Testament, the sacrifice was God's appointed way of approaching him and restoring a right relationship with him. Hezekiah's sin offering was a sacrifice given to God for forgiveness of unintentional sins. And in the last note said, the blood sprinkled on the altar represented the innocence of the sacrificed animal taking the place of the person making the offering. The animal died so the sinner could live. This ritual looked forward to the day when Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, would sacrifice his innocent life on the cross in order that the sinful and guilty human race might be spared the punishment it deserves. Okay. Anything for there you wanted to go over? No, this. You, I think you answered it just in your reading there a second ago. This is all, again, pre-Jesus. Yeah, this is still Old Testament, so okay. this, is, this is still B.C., pre-Jesus. Okay. Very good. Okay, so 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1 through 9, the preparations for Passover. And verse 1 says, King Hezekiah now sent word to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters of invitation to the people of Ephraim and Manasseh. He asked everyone to come to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the note says, Hezekiah was a king dedicated to God and to the spiritual progress of the nation. He sent letters throughout Judah and Israel, urging everyone to return to God. He told them not to be stubborn, but to submit to the Lord. To submit means to obey him first, yielding our bodies, minds, wills, and emotions to him. His Holy Spirit must guide and renew every part of us. Only then will we be able to temper our stubborn selfishness. So Hezekiah was really trying to do the the right thing. He was trying to bring everyone back to God. Anything for there? No. Were, were, were they? The 13th king of uh, Judah. Were they listening to him? We're going to find out. Okay. 
2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 10 through 27, the celebration of Passover. Most people laughed at the runners who carried King Hezekiah's message of returning to the Lord. So there's the answer to your question. Most people didn't listen, but there were some. And in the, the note, it said, most scorned Hezekiah's messengers, but some accepted the invitation. Our efforts to tell others about God often meet with similar reactions. Many people will laugh at an invitation to accept Christ, but this must not stop us from reaching out. If you know and understand that rejecting the gospel is common, you can guard against feelings of personal rejection. Remember that the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces. Our task is to invite others to consider God's actions, his claims, and his promises. That's a wonderful thing to remember because it's true. You know, we're here to just kind of go and plant seeds and, you know, see where it grows. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling with this podcast. It it goes out to to all the people it's going to go out to and hopefully it grows. Hopefully it grows within yeah. some people and you never know when. True. You never know. Maybe someone listened a year ago and in 10 years from now, they're like, you know what? I remember listening to that one podcast. And it doesn't have to be our podcast. It could be whatever. But yeah. that's the general theme is that you want to, you know, drop that seed of knowledge in there. Nicely put. So now, uh, if you could please read verses 12 through 14. At the same time, God's hand was on the people in the land of Judah, giving them all one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials, who were following the word of the Lord. So a huge crowd assembled at Jerusalem in mid-spring to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. They set to work and removed the pagan altars from Jerusalem. They took away all the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. Thank you, thank you. Continuing on, I'm going to read verses 25 through 27. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, including the priests, the Levites, all who came from the land of Israel, the foreigners who came to the festival, and all those who lived in Judah. There was great joy in the city, for Jerusalem had not seen a celebration like this one since the days of Solomon, King David's son. Then the priests and Levites stood and blessed the people, and God heard their prayer from his holy dwelling in heaven. That's a wonderful, wonderful visual that he was, he heard the prayer from his holy dwelling in heaven. And then the note, it had been more than 200 years since there had been such a celebration in Jerusalem. So that was a long time. Yeah. You know, so the, the previous kings had neglected the word of God for, for that long. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. That's generations. Oh, Yes. Okay, oh, any questions for there or anything you want to talk about? Nope. Second Chronicles chapter 31 verses 1 through 21, Hezekiah's religious reforms. And we're going to start with a note. Why was idol worship so bad? The Israelites had access to the one true God, but they constantly fell into worshiping lifeless idols made of wood or stone. They put aside worshiping the creator in order to worship the creation. We are just as guilty when God no longer holds first place in our lives. When we think more about wealth, pleasure, prestige, or material possessions than about God, we are actually actually worshiping them as gods. Because of idol worship, the people of Judah were eventually sent into captivity in foreign lands. We may not be sent into captivity, but discipline awaits all those who continually put 
earthly desires above spiritual priorities. And if you could please read 2 Chronicles um, 31 verses 1 and 4. When the festivals ended, the Israelites who attended went to all the towns of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, mm-hmm. and they smashed all the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Yeah, Asherah poles. Asherah poles. Yeah. And removed the pagan shrines and altars. After this, the Israelites returned to their own towns and homes. In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. Great. Thank you very much. And the Israelites gave their first shares of grains, oil, honey, etc. generously. They, they had no problem giving. And in the note, it said Hezekiah reinstated the practice of tithing giving a tenth of one's income to the priests and Levites so they could be free to serve God and minister to the people. The people responded immediately and generously. God's work needs the support of God's people. And then I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. In this way, King Hezekiah handled the distribution throughout all Judah, doing what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. Anything uh, for there you want to talk about? No. Alrighty. Now we're going to move on uh, to the Proverbs section. And the paragraph before scripture in our Bible, uh, it's titled Proverbs Collected During Hezekiah's Reign. These proverbs were collected by Hezekiah's advisors. The first section was written by Solomon, and the next two sections were written by others. While we can all learn from these proverbs, many were originally directed toward the king or those who dealt with the king. These are particularly helpful for those who are leaders or aspire to become leaders. The book ends with a description of a truly good wife who is an example of godly wisdom. Okay, thank you. All right. So let's go on to Proverbs now. Proverbs 25, 1 through 29, 27. And this is titled, More Proverbs of Solomon. And we'll start with a note. Hezekiah was one of the few kings of Judah who honored the Lord. By contrast, his father Ahaz actually nailed the temple door shut. Hezekiah restored the temple, destroyed idol worship centers, and earned the respect of surrounding nations, many of whom brought gifts to God because of him. And could you please read Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7, please? Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. And it's interesting because in our notes, it said Jesus made this proverb into a parable. And that was in Luke 14, 7 through 11. And I'm going to, I looked it up and I'll read it. When noticed, now Luke is in the New Testament. When noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. 
But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then continuing the, the note from Proverbs, it said, we should not seek honors for ourselves. It's better to quietly and faithfully accomplish the work God has given us to do. As others notice the quality of our life, then they will draw attention to us. And could you please read um, verses 21 and 22, please? If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. Thank you. The note for that says God's form of retaliation is most effective and yet difficult to do. Paul quotes this proverb in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. In Matthew's 540, not in Matthew's, in Matthew 544, Jesus encourages us to pray for those who hurt us. By returning good for evil, we are acknowledging God as the balancer of all accounts and trusting him to be the judge. And that's not easy to do. No. No. Is it literal? I, I'm mulling it over and I'm thinking of like maybe the most extreme example. When your enemies are hungry, give them food. When they're thirsty, give them water. Enemies like you're battling to the death with enemies. Well, because in my mind, if I'm battling to the death and they're dying of thirst and hunger, then all the better. Now, I'm being honest. No, no, no. I want you to be honest. I, you know, it's the, good the, to have a conversation. The goal is if you're, you don't, one is to avoid war in, in my eyes, my mind. But two, if it's forced upon you, then I, and maybe this speaks ill of me, but, and maybe I'm not educated enough in the Bible uh, or enlightened enough. But if my enemies are dying, if they happen to be on the side of the mountain where there is no water to drink and they're croaking because of that, all the better. They're weaker, their numbers are less, and we're more prone to win the war. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to send water and food over to make them strong. So then they can come and attack you. So that they may, in fact, win the war. Now, I got you. that is me. I'm not trying to piss off anybody. No, making, you don't no, have no. to apologize that's for just, it. That's my layman's thinking. No, that's that's a that's a great point. Like, is it literal for everybody, no matter the situation, and you have to help out your enemy? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, let's read it again. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. Now, is that something more when you reread that? If, if they come to you and throw down their, their swords and their arms and say, we're dying of hunger and thirst, you know, we, we give up, then I can see... Which, the question you're asking is, is excellent. Like, does it come to a point where you don't do that? I don't think so. I think biblically, yes, you do. See, I was looking, it's interesting how your mind works and my mind works. Because I'm thinking of it something like, oh, someone said something mean to you or whatnot. And they weren't being nice to you. And, but they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so thirsty. And like, you give them a water. See, that's where my mind is. And I go there as well. I really think biblically, yes. Okay. I don't see how what this said would work on some levels and not in others. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the severity of it? Yeah. What you're asking is is a wonderful, wonderful question. And it's one that makes makes all of us think. All right. Um, was there anything else you wanted to ask about that? Because that was such a great question. No. That's just where my mind went. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I don't know if I read the note for that part. Did I? Don't, I? I, I well, read it again. God's form of retaliation is most effective and yet difficult to do. Paul quotes this proverb in Romans 12, 19 through 21. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus encourages us to pray for those who hurt us. By returning good for evil, we are acknowledging God as the balancer of all accounts and trusting him to be the judge. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, I'm going to read Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat too much honey, and it's not good to seek honors for yourself. And the note said, dwelling on the honors you deserve can only be harmful. It can make you bitter, discouraged, or angry, and it will not bring you the rewards that you think should be yours. Pining for what you should have received may make you miss the satisfa satisfaction of knowing you did your best. And could you please read Proverbs 26, verses 4 through 5, please? Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Okay, now let's read the note. I know that's confusing. Yes. These two verses seem to contradict, but they actually are purposely demonstrating the, co the contradiction between reason and folly. A fool remains a fool whether answered or not. The wise person has a choice to make depending on what the greatest need of the fool may be in that situation. Some fools don't deserve an answer because they are clearly not in a mood to listen. And those who try to answer them will simply stoop to their level. There are other situations where common sense says to answer the fool in order to expose pride and folly. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. And then um, verses 13 through 16, Proverbs is interesting. It's kind of like um, Psalms in a way where you can kind of pluck verses out and then learn more about it. So that's why we're reading so many of these. Verses 13 through 16 says, The lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. And the note says, A person not willing to work has endless excuses to avoid it. But laziness is more dangerous than a prowling lion. The less you do, the less you want to do, and the more useless you become. To overcome laziness, take a few small steps toward change. Set a concrete, realistic goal. Figure out the steps needed to reach it and follow those steps. Pray for strength and persistence. To keep your excuses from making you useless, stop making useless excuses. I love that. I love when it gives practical advice. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me, that's something like that is also useful in prayer. If you're doing like a specific prayer, say someone is going in for surgery or they're going in for like a biopsy or something like that, where it involves doctors and technicians and nurses and whatever. It's always helpful to do a specific prayer like, you know, Lord, 
please give you know the knowledge to the doctors and to the nurses and whoever's involved the technicians guide them to what they need to see and what they what they need to remove or what they need to detect so that that's always good when um praying for something specific like medically just fyi i like that and would you please read uh, please read proverbs 27 17 please as iron sharpens iron so a friend sharpens a friend that's not an uncommon saying i've heard that iron sharpens iron yeah that part Mm mm-hmm And the note says, mental sharpness comes from being around good people, and a meeting of minds can help people see their ideas with new clarity, refine them, and shape them into brilliant insights. This requires partners who can challenge one another and stimulate thought. People who focus on the idea without involving their egos in the discussion. People who know how to attack the thought and not the thinker. Two friends who bring their ideas together can help each other become sharper. And could you please read verse 21, please? Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Um, The note says, praise tests a person just as high temperatures test metal. How does praise affect you? Do you work to get it? Do you work harder after you've gotten it? Your attitude toward praise tells a lot about your character. People of high integrity are not swayed by praise. They are attuned to their inner convictions, and they do what they should, whether or not they are praised for it. How relative is this verse right now? With so many people really craving praise. You know what I mean? From, like, social media and and whatnot. People just are doing anything for the praise and the attention. That's very important to keep in mind, especially right now. Yeah. I'm just going to read Proverbs um, 28.25, which says, Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. And then Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And this is something, as you're reading through Proverbs or Psalms, there are so many Proverbs you can pick out and, and they'll really stand out to you. Those, these are just some that, you know, that I picked out. If you could read a song, a song, Proverbs 29.13, please. 29.13, the poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. Yes, thank you. And the note says, the Lord gives sight to the eyes of both means that everyone depends on God for sight. Both the oppressor and the poor have the gift of sight from the same God. God sees and judges both, and his judgment falls on those whose greed or power drives them to oppress the poor. Any questions for that area? Nope. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 33. This is the section. It's titled, The Sayings of Augur. I think that's how you pronounce it. Pronounce it, Augur. Who was a sage or a wise man. And in the note, it said the origin of these sayings is not clear. Nothing is known about Augur except that he was a wise teacher who may have come from Lemuel's kingdom. And verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. That was it for that section. Did you have any questions or anything for that? No. Proverbs 31, chapters 1 through 9, the saying of King Lemuel, and then the the note for there says, Little is known about Lemuel except that he was a king who received wise teachings from his mother. His name means devoted to God. 
Some believe that Lemuel and Augur were both from the kingdom of Massa in northern Arabia. So just give us a little more info about that. And then Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, a wife of noble character. And um, the big note for that section says, Proverbs has a lot to say about women. How fitting that the book ends with a picture of a woman of strong character, great wisdom, many skills, and great compassion. Some people have the mistaken idea that the ideal woman in the Bible is retiring, servile, and entirely domestic. Not so. This woman is an excellent wife and mother. She is also a manufacturer, importer, manager, realtor, farmer, seamstress, upholsterer, and merchant. Her strength and dignity do not come from her amazing achievements. They are a result of her reverence for God. In our society where physical appearance counts for so much, it may surprise us to realize that her appearance is never mentioned. Her attractiveness comes entirely from her character. The woman described in this chapter has outstanding abilities. Her family's social position is high. In fact, she may not be one woman at all. She may be a composite portrait of ideal womanhood. Do not see her as a model to imitate in every detail. Your days are not long enough to do everything she does. See her instead as an inspiration to be all you can be. We can't be just like her, but we can learn from her industry, integrity, and resourcefulness. And then would you please read Proverbs 3131? Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. And the note says, the book of Proverbs begins with the command to fear the Lord, and that's Proverbs 1-7, and ends with the picture of a woman who fulfills this command. Her qualities mentioned throughout the book, hard work, fear of God, respect for spouse, foresight, encouragement, care for others, concern for the poor, wisdom in handling money. These qualities, when coupled with fear of God, lead to enjoyment, success, honor, and worth. Proverbs is practical for us, because it shows how to become wise, make good decisions, and live according to God's ideal. That's what I have. Okay. Do you have any questions or anything? I do not. If I did, I you know I'd ask. How did you like that section? I liked it. I liked it very much. All right. So let's give out some information. The email is basicbiblestudy19 at gmail.com, facebook.com slash study. And that's where you will find um, whatever we're reading right now. And in upcoming readings, they'll be listed there. And then um, anything posted, I'll put onto Facebook. And then the website is mybasicbiblestudy.com. That's where you can find um, a lot of the, um, the podcast links. So next time, we're going to be going into Psalms. Okay. So here we go. This is what we're going to be reading. And it's also going to be posted on the Facebook page. Psalm 42 through 49, Psalm 84, 85, 87, Psalm 1 and 2, Psalm 10, Psalm 33, 66 through 67, 71, and 91 through 104. Because remember, we're going chronologically. Okay. That's it for next time. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you again for filling in. Good I don't. Welcome. I don't know how long you'll be filling in, but when Amy gets back, she'll get back. Hey, for as long as I'm needed. Oh, that's very nice. I hope you're. I hope you're learning. I am. I'm, I always take away something from this. That's good. All right. Well, have a blessed week, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.